You can, you will, you must pass NCLEX. There is a way to study for NCLEX and I'm gonna show you how it's done by focusing on the core content. Get out your downloadable workbooks. All of the information comes from my NCLEX virtual trainer. This is the best resource I have ever created to help nursing students pass the NCLEX. And during this event, we are dropping the price the because we want you to get in the VT and get your nursing license. So get out your downloadable workbooks. This is going to be an amazing class. I can't wait for you to get your license this year. You can, you will, you must pass NCLEX. Did you know that NCLEX is changing? This is the hottest topic right now when it comes to getting your license in nursing. NCLEX is changing and so you have to be ready to pass the exam now or be ready for these changes. And I'm gonna tell you about the changes every week during Remar Nurse University. Hey everyone, it is time for class number four, Remar Nurse University, all about pharmacology. I am so excited to get these notes to you. We are deep studying today, but you gotta have out your downloadable PDF workbook to take these awesome notes. Hey, this class, we are talking about antibiotics, as well as blood and blood products. Yes, 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 yes. And you will get an inside look into the NCLEX virtual trainer going over medication administration. Now, let's get into our medical disclaimer. It is the information and educational material in this video is meant to promote the general understanding and dialogue of pharmacology for nursing students. For patients and individuals, such information is not to be a substitute for professional, medical, therapeutic, or healthcare advice or counseling for medical issues or concerns, including decisions about medications and other treatments. Viewers should always consult their physician or in serious cases, seek immediate assistance from emergency personnel. We are in it to win it tonight. Our first topic is antibiotics. The use of antibiotics in healthcare revolutionized what we have been able to do. And so when we talk about antibiotics, are we talking about curing viruses here? No, 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 no. So antibiotics are only used to cure bacterial infections, all right? So keep that in your mind. If, if, a, if a patient has, you know, the influenza virus, okay? If they have a viral infection, a common cold, they are not supposed to be on these antibiotics and and um, and so understanding who is appropriate for antibiotics is a huge responsibility of healthcare providers as well. And we're going to look at the, the the antibiotics, the medications to take with food, to take with food. And so these um, these antibiotics, you have to take them with food because food will help decrease GI upset. 
And so one of the common things about antibiotics is that they will get rid of the good bacteria in the body, right? So they cause a lot of diarrhea, nausea, and vomiting. So we have here two, we have here um, two classes of drugs that I would like for you to know that you need to take with food, but also I'm going to focus on the safety points and the client education points of these antibiotics. And so with pharmacology, you, you wanna make sure that you are studying the important points of the medication, all right? So the, the, the first one is cephalosporins, cephalosporins. And cephalosporins are, are, are very common. What you need to know for them is that there is a cross sensitivity for penicillin. So if a client is prescribed a cephalosporin, we do need to ask them for the NCLEX exam if they are allergic to penicillin, okay? Also, if a patient is taking a cephalosporin, um, then it puts them at risk for bone marrow suppression, okay? So it reduces the, the, the bone marrow that is produced. And so the example that I have here for you to know is ceftriaxone. This is one of the more common medications that you will see on NCLEX, and I'll get to why it is the cephalosporin that I see the most frequently when I'm preparing for NCLEX. Okay, um, client education about a cephalosporin is that they can cause your urine to demonstrate false positives. So the two false positives are uh, a false opioid, okay? So that means that if you take, if you give a urine sample and you're on a cephalosporin, it will come back that you are possibly addicted to heroin, morphine, um, like, you know, so these opioids. So this is, this is important for us to tell our patients, right? Um, because if you are on a job interview, if you're going for a job interview and they, they, they make you take a drug test and you're taking this antibiotic, when your employer gets back that result, it will indicate that you're an opioid user and you're not, you're just on regular antibiotics. So it's an important teaching point for the NCLEX exam. Also, this medication will cause you to have false glucose readings, okay? So that your blood sugar um, is falsely elevated due to the medication. So I see NCLEX questions about that all the time and I wanted to share it with you. If you wanna know more about the, the cephalosporins, uh, besides ceftrioxone, I did put them in quick facts for you to read over. Okay, the second um, antibiotic are the macrolides, particularly the example here is azithromycin and erythromycin. So these are alternatives to penicillins, uh, alternatives to cephalosporins. If your patient is allergic to either one of those, we can start looking at azithromycin as an option. The thing about azithromycin and erythromycin is that they can cause cardiac changes. 
particularly the QT segment prolongation. Okay. And so this, this lecture, this lecture will particularly be heavy on medication names and classes, but I want you to Think about what we're focusing in on. So I'm not having you, typically when I see students flashcards for farm, they're overdone. You guys are trying to study all of the side effects. You, you know, you're studying the generic and the brand names. You gotta really cut some of that back because it won't be on the exam, all right? Safety points, safety, safety, safety. That's what this class is about. Um, teaching, education. That's what this is about. And so I want you to see how I structure my notes for competency. All right, so those are the medications that we take with food. Let's look at the medications that we're going to take on an empty stomach. And the next group that I'm gonna show you, there's three. They're all found in your Quick Facts book. So um, I have developed them more in your Quick Facts, their five-star Quick Facts. I'm gonna give you the highlights here. The first one, is penicillin, okay? Penicillin has to be taken on an empty stomach because the absorption rate is going to be decreased if there is food there. So the client education, very simple with penicillin. You guys know we need to monitor, we need to make sure that this medication is safe. People who have allergies to penicillin don't do well if they're given penicillin, all right? So that is the major point of administering this type of medication. Also, remember penicillin is one of the only safe medications. There's not many medications that are safe, um, but you can give this antibiotic during pregnancy and breastfeeding. This is essential to know, okay? And then epinephrine is the antidote for an allergic reaction, okay? Epinephrine is the antidote for an allergic reaction. That is the go-to. I don't care whatever choices that you're presented, always choose epinephrine. Okay, the tetracyclines are also in your Quick Facts for NCLEX book. The major points is that tetracyclines do cause photosensitivity, all right? What does that mean? I need you guys to know these terms. Look it up if you're not familiar with photosensitivity, okay? Also, you do not give tetracyclines to uh, children or during pregnancy, okay? They can cause um, fetal defects. And, and tetracycline is a hepatotoxic drug, so it is going to cause issues. Tetracyclines are a hepatotoxic drug, so it is going to cause issues with the liver. So you're gonna to have to monitor your patient's liver function. And, and that's not all that, um, that's not all that, that is not all of that uncommon with antibiotics, okay? All right. Now, the last class of drugs that I wanna talk about are the um, 
sulfonamides. And there is one here that you need to know specifically, and that is the um, trimethylprene sulfa methoxylol. Okay, now this medication is particular for your exam. This is the this is the most common one that I see, and it's also in your quick facts as well. Again. Here, if you are giving your patient this medication, monitor for photosensitivity. Also, monitor for a rash, Steven Johnson syndrome, okay? Steven Johnson syndrome. And so this is a highlight point of administering this medication. You also, you're giving it on an empty stomach, but you don't wanna give it with antacids because sometimes people can say, oh, I'm, I'm taking this medication, but it causes me to have heartburn. I don't like it a lot. So if that's the case, we, we still, we, we need to tell them, don't take this with antacids because it will delay medication absorption. Okay. This is also another medication that you need to avoid giving during pregnancy. Okay, so we are moving right along here. We went over the medications you take with meals, the medication you take on empty stomach. Let's look at the medications that are not given orally. So we would not expect to prepare an oral solution here. And so this is great for if you need to clarify an order for your NCLEX exam. So the first um, medication that I wanna talk about here, number one, is an aminoglycoside, okay? Aminoglycosides are heavy on the NCLEX exam. And so gentamicin, in particularly, you don't expect to give it orally. It has a very poor absorption rate in the gastrointestinal tract. It is normally given IV. Yeah, it's normally given IV. Now the side effects, of the side effects of gentamicin and really um, aminoglycosides in general are going to be ototoxicity. What does ototoxicity mean? You guys know this, you guys know this stuff. Ototoxicity, yes, is damaging to the ears. Also, nephrotoxicity, this medication will cause some kidney damage, yeah. And so to, to monitor the therapeutic level of this medication, we need to do a peak and a trough. Are you guys familiar with a peak and a trough? Are you familiar with that term? So just really quickly, because I know I have some nursing students in here that um, may not have been in their final year, may not have come to pharmacology in classes. So the peak and the trough is essentially blood draws that are done. So you actually take the patient's blood and you measure, you measure the amount of a specific medication in the blood. So the peak is when you're looking for the medication at its highest point. That's the peak. And then the trough blood draw, you're looking for the medication right when it should be out of the system, okay? When you're about to administer the next dose, right? Because the medication has worn off. So you wanna make sure that there is a specific level of that medication, all right? So that is called the peak and the trough. And the, the registered nurse, uh, typically depending on where, where you work, 
we'll be doing that blood draw, all right? The second medication that we don't give orally um, is a glycopeptide, vancomycin. Normally, vancomycin is given what? It is given IV. Normally, vancomycin is giving IV, and vancomycin as well will cause ototoxicity, nephrotoxicity, and you have to watch out for red man syndrome. Okay, you have to watch out for red man syndrome. And I hope you guys get a chance to look that up before your NCLEX exam. It is hot information. Okay, now, when we talk about administering antibiotics, we're, we're very happy to do so, but we have to prepare our clients because the most common side effect of antibiotics is diarrhea. Yes, and that just goes back to how all antibiotics are going to really decrease the good bacteria in the gastrointestinal tract. And so that bad, that bad bacteria, it will be there to wreak havoc, all right? Critically think here is C. difficile, colostrum difficile, considered an antibiotic associated diarrhea. What do you guys think? Can you get C. difficile from being on antibiotics for too long or at all? What do you think? Yes, it is. Absolutely, absolutely. Some people normally carry some people normally carry C. difficile around and, and they don't know because their good bacteria keeps everything in check, keeps everything good. But if they take an antibiotic, a vancomycin, a penicillin, you know, and that good bacteria is decreased, then the, the C. difficile spores will begin to grow. And, and honestly, it is a very serious condition. Nobody wants C. difficile. Um, because untreated, it, it could be very life-threatening, okay? So, so we have to tell our clients, though, that even though the most common side effect is diarrhea, we have to let them know that they have to continue. They must take the prescribed course of antibiotics, even if their infection symptoms disappear, even if they have diarrhea, you gotta continue to take them. It's always better to finish your treatment. Now, this is very important for your NCLEX exam because NCLEX likes to reflect what is happening in real practice. And so right now, the most commonly prescribed antibiotics for hospital um, clients are going to be vancomycin. So that's what I'm saying. You need to know this for your NCLEX exam, okay? The um, piperacillin tax taxobactam. Now, let's just stay here for a second if you are giving number two, if you're gonna give the piperacillin taxobactam, what, what type of, of medication is this? Just based off of the name. What do we need to um, monitor our patients for? And you guys all know this. Do not get intimidated with pharmacology. What do we need to monitor our patients for? What do we need to ask them if we are about to give this medication? We need to monitor for allergies because what does piperacillin tell you? <laughs> Look at that name, all right? And that's why I need you guys to dig in with me here. I need you guys to look, look and read. This tells you that this is a penicillin-based antibiotic, right? 
And so if you're given this on NCLEX, you already know what time it is. You guys know this. You guys know this stuff, all right? We just need to review it. That's why this is, um, that's why the NCLEX review is so important because it helps to bring things to your attention. So um, two, this is a penicillin-based antibiotic. That makes sense. Um, and then number three is a, is a cephalosporin. We already talked about this one. All right, this is a ceftriaxone. Gotta know it. And then four is levofloxacin. And this is a, a fluoroquinolone, all right? So these are the four you wanna make sure that you know. You absolutely wanna make sure that you know for your NCLEX exam, all right? Now, I covered the antibiotics. Let's do some questions uh, just based off of what we went over. Again, the full review, again, get in the virtual trainer, get the books so we can have a full spectrum of the antibiotics studying together. All right, let's do some questions here. I know you guys love questions. Uh, it says, number one, the nurse is caring for a client prescribed intravenous penicillin for a urinary tract infection. The nurse notices coolness and swelling around the IV insertion site. Which assessment should the nurse make first? Number one, monitor the client for an allergic reaction. Two, evaluate if the intravenous catheter is in place. Three, notify the healthcare provider. Four, discontinue the penicillin antibiotic. Okay, all right, here we are. Here we are, here we are. What is, what is going to be the correct answer here, all right? And this question, I'm gonna tell you, this question needs to be read appropriate. Sometimes nurse, nurses students will fail NCLEX because they don't answer the question that is being asked. So the correct answer here is number two. Evaluate if the intravenous catheter is in place. This is the assessment that the nurse needs to do first. Okay, all right, so monitoring the client for allergic reaction, not an assessment related to the coolness and swelling around the IV insertion site, okay? Coolness and swelling around the IV insertion site is not an applicable assessment here. Um, notifying the healthcare provider, not an applicable assessment. Discontinuing the penicillin antibiotic, not applicable assessment, and so, Evaluating if the catheter is in place is going to be related to the coolness and swelling around the IV insertion site. And so it's these kind of questions that trip up so many students. It's these types of questions because the answer is specifically based on the question. And so if we're reading too fast, if we're, we're, we're coming to our own conclusions about what's important and we're not taking our time to read for understanding, then we can easily give the wrong answer. And so I can't stress it enough. If you are not content, I, I love content, half the battle, all right? Reading is fundamental. That's the other half of the battle for most of you guys. And you, and you come back and you say, I failed the NCLEX, I knew the content. And I know you knew the content, 
but can you read? Can you read for the, the nursing priority? Can you read for the nursing priority? So let's do another one here. Um, it says two, a client is prescribed an antibiotic that has a side effect of renal crystal formation. Okay, do we know what that is? Which of the following is most important to encourage effective renal clearance? And so um, look at what we're trying to do. Okay, which one is most important? Number one, consuming a low protein diet during medication therapy. All right. Um, two, encouraging the client to void every two hours. Three, drinking eight to 10 glasses of water a day. Or four, monitoring monitoring renal function during medication therapy. All right. Now, if we're reading here for comprehension and understanding and nurse priority, all right, the important thing, the most important thing, because all of these things are, are very important. That's the thing about it. They're all right. But what's most important right now is going to be basically three. And this is something the client can simply do to keep their urine clear that will allow them to have a decreased risk for the, the, the renal crystal formation. Okay. All right. Another question. Let's give it a try here. It's in your workbook as well. It says uh, a client prescribed tetracycline states a client prescribed tetracycline states that taking a medication on an empty stomach is difficult and causes heartburn. Which is the most appropriate, most appropriate statement for the statement for the nurse to make? Number one, the medication can be taken with orange juice, but not with food. Two, dairy will decrease the absorption of the tetracycline. Three, the medication can be taken with a slice of bread to prevent heartburn. Four, food or drink will decrease the absorption rate by 50%. Okay. All right. So which statement is going to be the most appropriate for the nurse to make? And it will be, yeah, that's right. Yep, it's gonna be number four, okay? Because the client needs to know, even if this medication causes you discomfort, you have to take it appropriately. If you don't take it appropriately, you're gonna have this infection a lot longer than what you need to. And there's a chance that if you're not taking it the correct way, the infection can become educated to the antibiotic and essentially become more stronger than the antibiotic, which is what you never want, right? So the client has to understand you cannot take anything <laughs> with this medication, all right? Should be taken one hour before meals. If you do take any food or drink, it doesn't matter if it's orange juice, if you try to do a slice of bread, peanut butter, a cracker, you can decrease the absorption rate by 50%, okay? All right, 
Now, let's transition. Hey, let's transition into our next topic for tonight, which is super confusing, super confusing for new nurses, new graduates. Um, and it, it is huge for client safety because you gotta get this right if you're giving this to your patient. And that is going to be blood and blood products, yes. Yes, 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 yes. Safety, you gotta know this. So let's just start uh, with the general information and then I will break it down into more specifics. So blood is a fluid, right? It's a fluid in the body. It's a transporting fluid, all right? So we're gonna, re we're gonna review the most important safety points about this. And, and the goal, the goal of, of a blood or a blood product transfusion is to deliver oxygen to the tissues. So if you guys remember, we were talking about letting out blood as a treatment in the pre-antibiotic era. Now we're talking about giving blood. We're talking about giving blood. So the, the goal of the blood transfusion is to deliver oxygen to the tissues. And I just wanna give a, a context about this. Um, so one of the first blood transfusions was done by a physician with his sister. And I apologize, his name escapes me right now, but he was caring for his sister who was about to deliver a baby and she began to hemorrhage. She was losing a lot of blood. And so he had the idea that if I give her some of my blood, she will do well. And so um, he did. He, 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 and he transfused his blood into his sister's blood and she had a great recovery. And so other people said, wow, this could really work. And so physicians began to transfuse their blood into their patient's blood. Um, and then what they found was, hey, my patient's not doing so well when I do this. Why is that? Can you guys think about why the, the one patient who transfused his blood into his sister, why other physicians who tried to do it to their patients did not have the same results? Can you guys think of why it was not working for them, but it worked for him, all right? So the reason why, of course, is because the physician and his sister were related. So they just happened to have the same what? Blood type. Yes, and so um, if you get blood from a random stranger and it doesn't, it doesn't meet the compatibility with yours, then how, how are you gonna do? You're not gonna do well, you're gonna be even sicker. And so blood transfusion has come a long way now that we know that there is an appropriate time to give it, there is an appropriate type to give, for patients. So it's just really, it's really helpful and it's really great to know the background of some of, of these pharmacology um, that, you know, that we commonly use. And, and, and I want you guys to be remarkable nurses and being remarkable nurses means that you're well-rounded, not only in current medical practice, but also the history of our medicine as well. So we're talking about blood as a transporting fluid. And so the reasons why we give blood, the, the indications are essentially this, surgery, okay? So pre-antibiotic pre time, you if a person was having surgery, they would bloodlet, they would drain them of the blood. Now we know we're gonna give them blood now. That is an indication, all right? So if you have some sort of injury, if you had some sort of surgery, um, then we, we gave you blood, okay? Also, anemia. 
anemia, and of course, hemophilia. What does hemophilia mean? Somebody needs to put that down, the definition of hemophilia. I know there's one watching that does not know, okay? So we're gonna talk about um, the verifications that you need to do before you give a patient blood. And there's two types of verifications. There's a paper and then there's a client. So the paper verification, these are things that um, must be done, well, I could say legally. Yeah, they have to be done legally, but there, there has to be a written protocol before you give a patient a blood. You cannot just give a blood or a blood product without these things in place, all right? So the paper verification checks, number one, are the prescription. Gotta have a valid prescription for blood. Mm -hmm. Also, type cross and match, okay? So if you're giving blood, if you're giving blood, you gotta have the type cross and match, okay? So you don't give an inappropriate blood type. Okay. Now also, 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 um, let me say this for number two, two I'm, just, I'm gonna go back to it. Um, for, for blood, when you're giving blood, you gotta have that type cross and match. But if you're giving plasma, all right, you don't have to have it. You don't have to have a type cross and match, all right? Because you won't have many blood cells in that plasma. Number three is a consent form. Okay, so we we dip, we typically need a consent form unless it's an emergency situation. Then you would give blood without it. But normally, if if you or myself just needed blood, then we would have a consent form signed. Okay, so just want to make that clear. And then two registered nurses to verify the blood and they have to sign sign off that they have looked at the type, the expiration date, you know, et cetera, that make sure that this is the correct prescription medication for your patient, okay? So those are the paper verification checks. Now the second verification checks are going to be the client verification checks. So if you're gonna give blood to a client well, you gotta know the correct patient, that's for sure. Okay. Vital signs. And um, vital signs, especially the temperature, needs to be checked before you give blood. And I, I've seen the times range from anywhere from, you know, 10 to 60 minutes. So I just put 60 minutes before. You need to check the vital signs an hour before. And that may, that may change depending on your facility, but just know that vital signs are something that you do before you give blood, okay? Because if, you're, if your patient has a temperature or their vital signs are irregular, you do not want to infuse blood to them, which can cause further complications. If your patient has a temperature, they have a fever, they have an infection, putting blood into them, new blood, may, is not gonna help the situation, all right? And then a large gauge catheter, and this is an intravenous catheter, guys, all right? And it needs to have a filtered needle in place, all right? A large gauge catheter with a filtered needle. Hey, check out your quick facts, the blood administration section as well to review this information. Now, there are also time requirements. 
There are also time requirements. And so what are they? Ooh, students get uh, really mixed up here. So let's go over them. 30 minutes is 30 minutes is that first box. And this is the time you have to begin your transfusion after it is removed from the blood bank refrigerator. Okay. Cause blood is kept cold. So you need to have everything ready to go so that when your nurse's aide go and goes and gets that blood for you, or you go and get it and it comes to the unit, you're ready to go. You have to stay with the client. You have to stay with the client for 15 minutes to assess them for any complications, allergic reaction. All right. Patient has back pain, shortness of breath, hives, itching. You will see that within 15 minutes. And so you have to physically be there with the patient. Now you continue to monitor the patient for 30 minutes. You continue to monitor the patient for 30 minutes. Now, four hours is, right now it is the evidence-based standard of time that raw blood can be um, left out. So you have four hours to completely transfuse blood. Now new studies are being done to see if blood can be used longer than that, um, up to 24 hours, but I don't have any conclusive data. So for our state board exams, four hours to completely transfuse blood. And then after that time, you would disregard uh, the blood and all the tubing and get new blood products and new equipment for the patient, okay? As, as far as tubing goes. All right. All right, the, the last thing on this page here is the equipment requirement. So we did paper client and now time and then here is the equipment requirements so in order to infuse blood we never run blood to gravity we always put it on an electric pump you got to have that filtered tubing and then normal saline is the only acceptable fluid that you would hang with giving a blood or blood product okay all right now here is uh, a, a separate discipline question. We're not talking about isolation precautions today, but you guys know I love isolation precautions. Um, so if we're talking about giving blood and blood products, what isolation precautions are needed when you are handling somebody else's blood? What do you guys think that answer is going to be? Yes, 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 yes. We all know you gotta use universal or standard precautions when you are giving uh, a treatment of a blood or blood product, okay? Okay, so that is a great overview of blood, the requirements, the checks, but now I want to dive a little bit deeper and go into the specific blood products because this information is where it can get really confusing and, um, so we're going to start with an anatomy review for our visual learners. We have a chart that we're going to fill out. And then for our readers and our writers, we're going to take some good notes. So let's get started here. All right. So here is our anatomy review. Fill out your boxes. We're going to start with blood. Yeah. So we're talking about blood. Well, blood breaks down into two components. 
All right, so if we wanted to split blood down, we would break it down into the blood cells or the plasma, okay? Now, let's focus on the blood cells. We need to be more specific if a doctor orders blood cells, okay? Because you can give red blood cells, white blood cells, or platelets. Did you know that? Did you know that all three of these are considered blood cells? Very, very, very important to know. If a doctor orders blood, um, I have to clarify immediately, okay? What do you want me to give? Okay, so if we go back over to plasma, plasma can be given, you can give whole plasma, or you can break it down and just identify the protein in plasma, all right? And, um, and so I'm gonna even break that down further for you guys, but as you can see, there are many things that we could be giving a patient if they call for blood. Okay, and so that is the safety point, knowing these divisions. And it all goes back to anatomy. It all goes back to anatomy. We can never leave it when we talk about pharmacology. So now let's, um, let's transition and let's take some notes on this chart. So the, the, the blood is considered actually a connective tissue. When you think about connective tissues, you don't really think about blood because it's a liquid, but it actually is an atypical connective tissue because it does connect body systems together, right? So your blood is flowing and it, it, it's what connects, you know, the, the GI system with the, um, the immune system or the muscular system to the skeletal system. You have blood flowing in and out of all of these systems. And so we talked about how blood has two divisions. Um, there's two divisions of blood. There, there are the, the, the blood cells in the plasma. So we're gonna break down blood cells and then we're gonna go down to plasma. So A, we're going to talk about the three divisions of the blood cells. Are you guys with me? And I know this is, this is a lot, but this is what's required. Look, this is what is required when you're studying pharmacology. You have to do all of these steps or it doesn't stick with you. You won't, you won't remember unless it's presented this way. All right, so this is my teaching style. Hope you love it. Here we go. So blood cells, um, there are three divisions of blood cells. You have your red, you have your white, and you have your platelets, which we saw from our chart. So if we're talking about the red blood cells, what is the function of the red blood cells? Easy peasy, we know the red blood cells, we love them. They're very easy to understand. This is what supplies oxygen, okay? It supplies oxygen and it removes carbon dioxide. So if a patient is getting um, a, a blood cell transfusion, they need red blood cells, okay, we know that their hemoglobin is probably low, okay? Now, um, white blood cells, sometimes white blood cells are confusing um, if you will read them as leukocytes. So white blood cells can also be called leukocytes. So if I wanted to write a difficult NCLEX question, I could just say a client's leukocytes were low and nursing students would be scrambling like, what is the leukocyte number? Wow, what is the normal? I don't ever remember reading that. Uh, well, that's just white blood cell count. All right, 
So white blood cell counts are interesting because they further break down into three divisions. Yeah, right? So A is the granulocytes. And remember the function of these white blood cells are to ingest or destroy pathogens. So they eat up, they eat up bacteria, they eat up viruses, all right? I think the white blood cells are probably the most difficult to remember. Um, we'll see, we'll see. I don't know, the, the plasma might be challenging too. Um, so granulocytes are white blood cells, okay? Monocytes, if you remember, um, this is more seen on the entrance exams for nursing school. They help with your adaptive immunity, all right? They help you to adapt to viruses. They help you to gain immunity. And then the, the lymphocytes, we, we see them when we talk about um, HIV or AIDS. These are the B cells, the T cells as well. So they help with your immune response if you become immunocompromised. And so all of these are types of leukocytes or white blood cells, all right? Depends on how fancy you wanna be, okay? Um, three, the blood cell type platelets. Very straightforward. I think they're very quite familiar with nursing students. They uh, help you to have your blood to clot. Yeah, they help you to have your blood to clot. So that is their function. Okay, so now you guys know about the blood cells. Now let's look at the plasma. Uh, I like plasma because this is another you know, component of blood. You can also be ordered to give a patient plasma. Plasma breaks down into protein. And so there's three types of plasma proteins for the NCLEX exam that you wanna know. The first one is albumin. Oh my goodness, we know albumin. Albumin is very popular if your patient um, has had burns or any kind of trauma and we need to you know, maintain their pressure from an extensive amount of blood loss, okay? So that's when we would give a, pro a protein, a plasma protein like albumin. Very expensive to give albumin. It, I mean, because you know that normally if a patient has blood loss, listen, if a patient has blood loss from a severe trauma, the first thing that we're gonna give them is what? What are we gonna give them that's an, um, that's an isotonic fluid that is very cheap to give a patient? Yeah, it's gonna be normal, it's gonna be normal saline. Uh, saline. It's gonna be sodium chloride. We're gonna give it because it's cheap, it's available everywhere. You get the huge bags of it, you give it to your patient and it will replace their blood uh, their blood loss, but albumin is, is very expensive. It is a, it's a, um, it's like a boutique treatment, but it serves a great purpose. All right. The second is, um, immunoglobulin and immunoglobulin is a plasma protein that helps with your immunity. And this is, if you guys remember again from the nursing entrance exams or even your, I guess, physiology, anatomy review. This is where you get into the IG, IgA, IgG, IgM, right? So we, we study that for the T's exam. And then the fibrinogen, this helps with blood clotting. And so you can actually give clients uh, fibrinogen and this is where you, you can be, it's called, um, Fibrinogen is gonna be called the fresh frozen plasma, FFP. 
this is this is what you're transfusing your transfusion the the fibrinogen all right and it will need to be thawed 30 minutes before because you you normally store that frozen okay so a lot of takeaways i mean i'll just say this it's definitely prudent for you to know the three types of plasma here, albumin, immunoglobulin, and this fib fibrinogen as a whole class. You don't need to get into the IgAs, IgGs, IgMs. Do not try to memorize that for the NCLEX exam, all right? Okay, okay, so many takeaways here. I hope you guys feel so much more comfortable distinguishing the difference between blood and blood products. All right, what they break down to. Let's check out some questions, and these are tough, but I'm challenging you guys right now. Question number one says this. It says, which of the following actions by the nurse require follow-up education? Select all that apply. Number one, verify a valid signed consent is placed in the client record. Two, if the client is an infant, verify the identity with a wristband and parent if available. Okay, I'll read that again. Number two, if the client is an infant, verify the identity with a wristband and a parent if available. Three, examining the type and group number to identify the age of the blood. Four, immediately stopping the transfusion and discarding the contaminated blood if an allergic reaction occurs. Or five, taking the client's temperature and other vital signs before retrieving blood. So which one of these require follow-up education, meaning which one is incorrect? Well, the correct answer here is going to be three and four. Yes, we need to do some follow-up education for three because Examining the type and group number to identify the age of the blood. We don't, we don't uh, look for the age of the blood. We need to know the expiration date of the blood. It doesn't matter how long the blood has been, you know, captured. What is the expiration date? Okay. So we're not, um, we're not trying to memorize ages of blood. Four immediately stopping the transfusion and discarding the contaminated blood if an allergic reaction occurs. No, remember we keep the blood for a specimen instead of throwing it away. We do not throw it away. We need to get a blood sample from the patient. We need to get a urine sample from the patient. We need to keep that blood so that the blood bank um, can have a sample of it, all right? And then five, so I'm sorry, one, two, and five are going to be correct, okay? One, two, and five are going to be things that we would want, we would want the nurse to do, okay? All right, let's try another question here. And it says here, question number two is, which of the following is the highest nursing intervention when administering a blood transfusion, okay? Number one, documenting the treatment in the client's chart. Two, informing the client of abnormal laboratory values. Three, warming the blood prior to infusion. 
or educating the client on signs of an allergic reaction. So which one is going to be the highest intervention? Okay. The correct answer here, because they're all, they all are right. They all look good. And maybe you can get it down to two and you're stuck, but which one is the one that's going to focus on patient safety the most? That's the one we want to go with. And so that one is going to be, yeah, number four, educating the client on signs of an allergic reaction. And this is because this one directly has to do with any life threatening reactions. All right. And so the, the patient, the client will need to know what do I need to look out for while I'm getting this blood. All right. So is easy here reading. Okay. Reading it is easy. Understanding it, prioritizing the answers can be challenging. Three here. Oh, I like this one. The nurse has initiated a transfusion of packed red blood cells. After 12 minutes, the client begins to report shortness of breath, itching, and back pain. The nurse stops the blood transfusion. Which of the following is the appropriate next step? Okay. Number one, stop all fluids from entering the client and take a urine and blood sample. Two, run normal saline at half the rate of the blood transfusion. Three, run the normal saline at a rate of 25 milliliters per hour. Four, run the normal saline at double the rate of blood transfusion to flush the line. Okay, so critical thinking here patient is having allergic reaction clearly, right? Based off the symptoms, we know we're supposed to stop the blood transfusion. That's clear. We all know that, but what do you do next? What are you going to do next for this patient? The correct answer. I don't know. It may be a surprise to you guys. I hope you got it. It is going to be number three, run the normal saline at a rate of 25 milliliters per hour. This is considered the keep vein open rate. It's considered a low rate, a keep vein open rate, which becomes the priority during this time. Um, some of you guys, stopping all fluids from entering the line. We don't want to do that because we've given blood. And so what does blood have a tendency to do if it's not moving, if it's standing still, it will have the tendency to clot. Yes. And so if we just cut off the blood and there's blood infusing in the patient and it's in their veins, we can actually create blood clots if we don't keep that fluid going. So we want to stop the blood, keep the line patent. That's why we look for the keep vein open rate. So anything else of um, running the blood at a normal rate, uh, other than keep vein open, you're, you're administering another treatment. And so running the normal saline at half the rate of the blood transfusion, then that's actually where we'll require an order for you to do because you're giving fluid. Most blood transfusion, you know, you're giving um, maybe 200, uh, I, I don't know, maybe you're, I'm trying to think of what a normal rate would be for blood. Like, so 
for instance, if you're giving, you know, 150 milliliters an hour, right? So if you want to have that, you're giving 75 or you're giving 100 milliliters an hour, you need an order for that to give a patient that much fluid, right? Also, um, if you're going to give double the rate of the transfusion to flush the line, you're really going to need an order to have that because then you're giving 400 or you're giving 300 um, milliliters an hour. And so this is going to potentially put your client at risk for hypervolemia or congestion, pulmonary congestion. So very, very, very carefully, um, not only reading the NCLEX questions, but knowing your content, you have to be able to isolate the priority here, especially when it comes to pharmacology. You know what? It's not over. We're about to go into the NCLEX virtual trainer um, and we're gonna go over some medication administration. Now, um, you do need this document, medication administration, for your notes here. So I sent it out to you guys, or you may have it in your workbook, but if you don't, you gotta have it printed out here. You know, this is class number four, and so our time is winding up. We will be ending Remar Nurse University, and I'm kinda sad. The only thing that will make me happy is to know that we actually will be continuing our study in the virtual trainer. So I hope that during these classes, you have experienced um, a, a simple, straightforward method of learning the information in a short period of time so that you're seeing tremendous progress on these subjects. So, you know, antibiotics, the insulins that we talked about, the pain medication, there is a way to go through every part of the test plan in order to have that kind of competence. And so with the virtual trainer, the sale is ending soon with it. Remember, you get the three months of online access. You get the two printed workbooks and it's the number one resource for your NCLEX exam. The three, two, one combo, pow, to passing NCLEX. I love it also. 99.2% success rate, you get the questions, you get the content, the motivation inside of the virtual trainer is there. You can finish anywhere. Remember I used to just say six weeks? Well, people are doing the VT in three weeks. <laughs> so now it's three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, whatever you wanna do, get in, get out, get your nursing license. Order it at remarnurse.com. I told you the sale was ending soon, but now I wanna do something a little different. I told you I was gonna take you inside of the NCLEX virtual trainer. So I have taken a page out of our NCLEX virtual trainer student workbook and I put it in your downloadable workbook. So when we go inside, you'll be able to take notes and see what it's like to study with the full program. You can finish this program in three to six weeks and get your license. It's so awesome. So here we go. We are back. We're gonna go over some medication administration points so that you can demonstrate you know how to properly give a medication. You know, before we give medications to any clients, there are the rights that we have to check. And there are many rights. I know we started with six, but now they're like 20. But some of them are making sure we have the right patient, the right drug, the right dose, the right route, the right time, 
the right documentation, and I know you guys know many more. Remember, we always verify three times those rights before we administer any medication. Let's look at the different routes that you can give a medication and talk specifically about things to note. So for PO, there are crushed and liquid medications. Now, we already talked about when you're in PO for the diet section. So PO here means by mouth. NPO means nothing by mouth. But for crushed medications, remember, you can give them orally, but you do not crush meds that end in these letters, these very important letters. They are EC, ER, EX, and SR. Do you know what these abbreviations mean? EC means what? Enteric coated. So it's specifically made not to dissolve in the stomach. ER is extended release. EX could also mean extended. And SR means sustained release. So these medications should not be crushed. They need to dissolve as the manufacturer intended them to. Now, when it comes to liquid medications, remember nurses, we always measure them on a flat surface. We always measure them on a flat surface. And if you're administering a liquid medication for an infant, you want to use a syringe to measure that medication. Oh, let's talk about ear medications. When you have to give an ear medication, the start of it is how to hold the penna. And the penna of the ear is the part of the ear on the outside of the body that you see. So it's the part of the ear on the outside of our heads um, and it's mostly made of cartilage. But the way that you hold that penna will facilitate where that medication goes. So there's different ways for the adult and the child. For the adult, you hold the penna up and back, up and back. And for the child, you hold the penna down and back. And when I say child, I mean, this is for the child about three years old. I always remember this because with an adult, there's a you and adult and there's a you and up. So I remember that I hold the penna up and back. And with child, there's a D in down and there's a D in child. So that's down and back. Medications should be room temperature because if you give a client a cold ear drop medication, it will cause dizziness and vomiting. How long should you wait when you give an ear medication before giving it in the other ear or changing positions? What do you say? Five minutes is the correct time length after you give a medication to allow the medication to travel through the ear canal. Now, let's talk about rectal medications. Rectal medications are an alternative to PO or IV medication administration. A big point before you give a rectal medication, you have to use lubrication and that lubrication is going to be 
a water-based lubricant. Never petroleum, always water-based. There are three types of enemas that I want you to be aware of, and they are actually oral enemas, right? So you can have a rectal enema or you can have an oral enema. So an oral enema essentially means you drink it. So let's talk about the three. The first one is barium. Barium is a white chalky substance that is usually given before a diagnostic procedure. If you're having a diagnostic procedure like a CAT scan of the abdomen or the intestines, the healthcare provider will have you drink the barium because not only is it uh, enema, but it also will cause the intestines to light up on the diagnostic procedure. The second type of oral enema is called lactulose. And lactulose, again, is a substance that you drink and it will cause you to expel what from the intestines? Because you're gonna have um, you're gonna have actually diarrhea. That's the way the enemas work. But with lactulose, it specifically binds to ammonia, so you will be able to reduce the ammonia level in your client with lactulose. And this is very important for clients that have what kind of issues. You guys remember what kind of patients have problems with ammonia? You remember? are renal patients, right? Because if they're eating a lot of red meats, they're not excreting that protein, and so it ferments into the body and becomes ammonia. So lactulose will help patients get rid of that ammonia. And the last enema is called K-exalate. And if you think about what it gets rid of, which is potassium, potassium is represented by the K. And so this will get rid of the K, it's called K-exalate, and it will help reduce potassium through the bowel. The next route of medication is the eye medication. And the steps to administering an eye medication appropriately is to Tell the client to look a certain way. Do you know what it is? Do we tell the clients to look up or should they look down if we're trying to put a medication in their eye? They should look up. Yes, they should look up. And then we place the medication in the lower conjunctiva sac. That is where it should be absorbed. You do not want to place medication directly on the cornea, which I see happen a lot. You put an eye drop, even patients do it to themselves. When they put eye drops in, they put it directly into their eye, directly on the eye, but the cornea is very sensitive and it's very delicate. So you can actually decrease your vision or cause blindness by putting drops directly onto your cornea. Now, if NCLEX gives you a scenario where eye drops are prescribed, and eye ointments are prescribed, hmm, which one do you give first? Do you give the eye drop or do you give the eye ointment first? The correct answer is 
the eye drop. Yes, you want to give the eye drop first because the eye ointment is usually a thicker consistency. So if you put that in the eyes first, the eye drop, which is a liquid medication, is not going to be able to penetrate that ointment that may have a petroleum base or something else that would block it. Oh, we gotta talk about the G-tubes, those gastric tubes, because we give medication through there all the time. Now, initially, when a G-tube is placed, you need to check for placement with an X-ray. So an X-ray should be done to determine that that tube is in the correct place. And, and normally the doctor will have to write an order that it is okay to use the tube because it's been confirmed. Also, before you put any medications in a tube, you need to assess for residuals. What's a residual? The residual is when you actually take an empty syringe and you pull back on that tube to see if you get um, residuals of feedings or fluids in that manner. When it comes to residuals, the magic number has now been increased to 500. That's right, 500. Before, if you guys remember, it was 100. 100 was the number. If you got more than 100 back in residuals, you had to hold the medication. But now the number is 500. So you can get up to 500 milliliters of fluid, food, or whatever back and still be able to give a medication. Now, if you get over 500, then what does that indicate? That now indicates delayed gastric emptying. And so the healthcare provider needs to be notified. Remember, medications should be given via gravity. We should not push any medications into the tube. It should run by gravity. And if multiple medications are administered, they need to be administered separately. We should not be mixing all the medications into one container and then giving them. Okay. All right, let's talk about IM injections. IM injections are injections, of course, into the muscle. It's very important for us to know how much medication a muscle can hold. So for an adult, the maximum amount of a medication that one muscle can hold is five milliliters. And for the child, the maximum amount of medication can hold is two milliliters. When it comes to IM injections, there's always a question of, do you aspirate, do you not aspirate? For most IM injections, you do not need to aspirate for them, okay? Um, and then specifically, NCLEX may ask you, do you aspirate for vaccinations? The correct answer is no, you do not aspirate for vaccinations. When it comes to giving injections, remember, do not give IM injections into paralyzed muscles. When the muscles are not well developed, they will not be able to absorb the medication appropriately. 
And just for fundamental sake, remember, you inject at a 90 degree angle. Oh, the final route that I want to talk about is the topical route of medication. And remember, topical medications are applied directly to the body surface. So that includes creams, ointments, lotions, and patches. Let me ask you this. Would we consider shampoo a topical medication? What do you guys think? Is shampoo a topical medication? Yes, absolutely. It's applied directly to the scalp. So we would consider that. Remember for our patients, we need to wash their skin or wherever the medication is applied daily and make sure that skin is dry for best absorption. And specifically when it comes to patches, whether it's for pain or smoking or birth control, you want to make sure that you remove old patches before placing new ones on the patient. And then for our registered nurses, we always use gloves whenever we are giving any route of a medication. And finally, always document that you gave that medication because if you didn't document it, then the courts will interpret that you did not do it. Okay, medication administration is complete. Let's move on to the next topic. Did you know that NCLEX is changing? Now this might not be for you, but NCLEX is changing and you need to pass now or be prepared for the changes. And I'm doing a series specifically to help you be prepared for the changes or more importantly, pass the NCLEX now. So let's just go over exactly how NCLEX is changing in this new segment. We are going to look at the mechanics of the next generation NCLEX. So here I'm talking about what is going to be the format that the questions will be presented in. You may be happy to know one through five may be kind of familiar to you. So starting with number one, the next generation NCLEX will continue to be a computer adaptive test. Woof. We already know how these work and we already understand how the benefits are for the public. So computer adaptive testing is still alive and well on the next generation NCLEX. Now the test items, um, what is familiar is the number of pre-test items. However, what is new is the range of your minimum to maximum. So a minimum of 85 questions could be your goal, but be prepared to take a maximum number of test items at 150. And again, 15 of these items are not gonna be scored. And no, unfortunately, you do not know which items are considered to be the pretest. So in the 85 questions, there are point number three, 70 that are actually graded towards your passing standard. And the 70 graded questions are broken down into two categories. The first is our 
case studies. Yep, we've been talking about it. So every student will encounter three next generation case studies. And even though you are getting three case studies, because there are six items in each case study, you will get a total of 18 case study questions, right? So once you encounter a case study, that means that six questions that you get will all be about one patient or one situation. So that is gonna happen to you three times. So you see how important it is when I do a case study workshop that you be present. Now, the next questions um, that you will get are considered standalone items, meaning that everything that you need to know about that patient will be presented in a one question presentation. And so that's pretty cool too. You can get 52 of those. Now, in addition, because the test goes up to possibly 150 questions, you will be able to encounter 65 other standalone items. This means that I'm not expecting you to get any more case studies, um, but these items will be just straightforward, new next generation NCLEX style questions. So 10% will be the standalone items of a trend or a bow tie. And remember, I talked about the bow tie questions and how unique that they were in the presentation. So um, be prepared for those. And a beautiful 90% will be knowledge items used to test client needs. So that's not a real surprise there because the NCLEX exam is about whether you can identify what your client is asking. Hey, the total time that you can get will be five hours. Now, these could be five long hours or these could be five short hours, but in any amount, it is going to be a five-hour exam. So let's do uh, something for my visual learners. If that wasn't clear enough, I'd like to do an actual comparison table so that you can see what we are going to be transitioning into in April. And I'm so excited of 2023 because literally it is coming so fast. So for the current NCLEX exam and next generation NCLEX, we both will have a computer adaptive test format. Great. The number of items is going to skew a little bit to the positive, meaning more items. So right now there is a 70 to 145 range. And for next generation, it will be 85 to 150. And I'm expecting this for RNs and PNs to have the same number of questions. Woo, the test allotment is going to be five hours in duration. Do you have five hours to get your nursing license? I know that you do. I absolutely know that you do. Let's talk about how these questions are presented to you. What are you going to encounter? So for the current NCLEX, you guys know we have multiple choice, mm -hmm, multiple response. You have some drag and drop. You can have some hotspot audio, graphics, and exhibits. Well, for the next generation NCLEX, all of those previous items are available but also expect enhanced hotspot, extended multiple response, 
extended drag and drop. So we're talking about up to 10 options, closed style questions, constructed responses, matrix grid, and bold tie questions. So how about the scoring? Well, right now you guys know that items are either scored as correct or incorrect. There is no partial credit. But did you know for Next Generation, there will be uh, three, three ways that you can receive points towards your passing standard. And that is the zero one scoring, the plus minus scoring, and the rationale scoring, which I will be going over in detail my next presentation on the Next Generation NCLEX. But how about we do this? Let us look let me introduce a next generation sample question type. And again, for the many people who are asking, when will these things be, Regina? Uh, this is coming April, 2023. So here's a question for you, check it out. A 34 week pregnant woman experiencing difficulty of breathing is admitted with severe health syndrome. External monitoring shows a fetal heart rate of 110 beats per minute with decreased fetal activity. For the following possible interventions, categorize each intervention as anticipated, non-essential, or contraindicated in the client's case. Okay, so we have a woman here, shortness of breath, and she also has HELP syndrome. This is a syndrome that is a complication that is typically associated with what condition? You got to know it. This is all about content. You are not going to be able to pass next generation NCLEX if you do not know content. And I'm telling you guys, you're not going to find content in question banks. You're going to have to study, right? And I am here to help you to do it. So um, again, HELP syndrome is typically associated with uh, preeclampsia, right? And so with HELP syndrome, you have, not only are you going to have um, a woman who is pregnant, right? Typically a little bit further along in her pregnancy, but not quite in a range for a healthy delivery. But this woman is also going to have hemolysis, elevated liver enzymes, right? And low platelets. That is what HELP syndrome stands for. So think about what is actually happening to your patient. And then what next generation NCLEX is going to have you to do is, um, analyze the, the cues, and then you're going to need to know how to take action because these are possible interventions that the nurse would be carrying out, right, or would be assisting in, and some of them make sense and some of them don't make sense, right? Some of them are anticipated, some of them are non-essential, and then some of them just don't make sense. They're totally contraindicated for the client's case. So let's break down each possible intervention. And I want you to tell me, is it relevant or is it not to help syndrome with a woman who is presenting with difficulty of breathing? I love to see what you guys do with this. So let's start with cortical steroid therapy. Mm -hmm. Why are we going to, uh, why are we going to be either expecting this 
or not expecting this? What is the indication when you think of cortical st- steroid therapy? Well, who is that to help? Well, who's the cortical steroid therapy to help um, indication-wise? Is it for the mom? Is it for the baby? Could it be for both? Is it something that would be uh, non-essential or contraindicated in any way for help syndrome? What about a blood transfusion? And what would be the blood? What what would be the the reason why a woman with help syndrome would need a blood transfusion? Think about it. Think about the things that we just talked about that we would see. Is this going to be anticipated, non-essential, or contraindicated? Meaning we should not do this at all. Oxytocin administration. Well, we know this is a pregnant woman. And typically, we are uh, we are thinking of oxytocin when it comes to pregnancy. That's literally the only time NCLEX probably is going to ask you a question about it. So would you expect this to be um, a non-essential and anticipated or contraindicated? Gotta love the left side line position. I mean, to be honest, if you see this on your NCLEX exam, know that this is more than likely going to benefit your mother. Like it's more than likely going to benefit your patient who is pregnant. So would you say anticipated, non-essential, or contraindicated? I love these questions. I really do. I love Next Generation NCLEX already because it just creates a very reasonable and safe dialogue within yourself as a nurse. Oral glucose tolerance testing. Mm, Interesting. This is a very interesting one. Think about why we do this, right? And if this is going to be an action or intervention, you would be ready to carry out right now. And then premature delivery. Again, we are pressing into help syndrome. And I'm trying to guide you guys thinking to what is anticipated, non-essential, or contraindicated. So I see I see what you guys are thinking in, in terms of, Regina, how do I prepare for this? Regina, it doesn't make sense if I think this way or not think this way. So let's just go over it. So cortical steroid therapy is actually going to be anticipated. And re- again, it's not so much about um, the, the actual cortical steroid therapy, but it's knowing how it is related to help syndrome, right? Because we could use cortical s- steroid therapy for many conditions, right? Um, So how would we apply it to help syndrome? Well, this could actually help the baby, right, who may not have the lung development needed to have a successful transition to the external world. So we would give the cortical steroid therapy to the baby. And the mom is having difficulty breathing. Maybe the cortical steroid therapy would also benefit the mom in her difficulty breathing too. So in either event, I'm going to anticipate this intervention. A blood transfusion. Absolutely. I would be thinking about a blood transfusion for this patient. Why is that? Well, again, if we understand HELP syndrome, If we understand HELP syndrome, we know the low platelets, we need to address any forms of anemia, right? Any forms of um, blood irregularities in this patient. 
blood transfusions are quite common as an intervention for HELP syndrome. Oxytocin administration. Now, this is something that we would not want to administer to this patient. We would not want to administer to this patient. We would not want this mother to um, begin labor without us being properly prepared. There are probably, oh my goodness, so many things that would prevent you maybe from right away administering oxytocin. So that would be contraindicated. Again, the left side lying position, you got to love this because this is going to allow more oxygen to get to the fetus. And so there is no issue with our mom doing a left side lying position, left side lying position. Mm, oral glucose tolerance testing, although it is beneficial in this actual moment here, it is non-essential. And this is what's going to be very challenging for uh, nursing students, I believe, is separating between anticipating and non-essential. Because non-essential doesn't mean wrong. It just means not right now. <laughs> not right now. And that's very important in practice because you don't want to get caught up doing something that actually delays a more needful treatment to a patient. So that is going to be why oral glucose tolerance testing right now is non-essential. The premature delivery of the baby, that is anticipated. I don't necessarily want it to be through the oxytocin administration. Catch that though. But I am expecting that if the mother is having uh, decompensation, if she's having a diff difficult time managing herself and she has severe health syndrome, we need, to, we need to address the real issue which is, I like to say this, the issue is the baby, but not so much the baby. What is the issue with HELP syndrome that is defective most of the time? And I asked you all to really think about knowing and getting familiar with your content. The issue with HELP syndrome is the placenta, okay? And so by delivering a a baby prematurely, you actually allow the mother to do well because you're getting rid of the placenta. So the baby no longer has the placenta. The mother no longer has the placenta, and she is able to um, she's able to recover at, in a, in a faster rate than carrying out a normal pregnancy, which would allow her to have that placenta longer. So again, deep diving into this content is going to make these questions so much more manageable. And I got time to do this with you. All right. So if it's not for you, I get it. But if you are interested in learning more about this presentation, along with many others, stick right here with Remar. All right. Be prepared now to pass NCLEX or be prepared for next generation. Those are the two options that you have, no matter if you are watching this. Um, you know, at any point in time, you, you have to be knowledgeable and you have to be anticipating, anticipating these future changes. However, I will say this right now is the best time and opportunity to pass your NCLEX exam. If you are able to test this year, I'm going to be very clear. Do it. Do it. 
And keep this in mind, you may already have, uh, you already may have a goal of what you want to do, but I'll show you, I'll show you how to pass and prepare for your boards in the next four to six weeks or less with my NCLEX virtual trainer, with my NCLEX virtual trainer. So the goal behind what I do is for you to get your nursing license as soon as possible as soon as possible. So I'm, of course, I'm learning about next generation. I'm going to be preparing students for it. But if you don't have to take it, I say pass now or prepare for the changes. Pass now or prepare for the changes. And as always, you can, you will, you must pass in Clex because with God, it is sure enough possible. No, thank you guys for rocking with Mark and I uh, until, you know, hours <laughs> to, to get this information. Again, I am going to um, take some questions that I saw here. Um, when you're in the virtual trainer, let me just say this. You got a preview of the virtual trainer from our perspective, just showing you the video. But when you're inside of the v VT, you have complete control over those videos. So you can speed them up. You can slow them down. You can put in the closed captioning if you want to see every word that I'm saying. So, um, you know, it is your NCLEX review and I want you guys to make it your own. Get in the virtual trainer, learn how to use it for your benefit because we put a lot of features in there that will allow you to retain the information more, okay? Please put the email address up there for people who don't know it. It's support at remarreview.com, all right? support at remarreview.com okay you guys we love you so much we love you so much good night good night to you guys um and since i answered the questions we will definitely make sure we will definitely make sure that we are on again so um what's nice about the virtual trainer is just that everything is in one place and that to me was one very big pro. I really liked that everything was in one place. Um, the other thing about the virtual trainer is just that like, I don't know what other people are saying, but I found that there was way more um, content. Like she definitely went into a lot more depth. Um, she's a godsend. Everything that I studied in the virtual trainer is in these questions so i feel really confident that when i write my exam next weekend pray for me pray for my family um that i will have all of the tools that i need to pass that exam and it all came from this one resource uh the virtual trainer is just it's everything that you need it really is everything that you need i mean people have been passing with this since the beginning so it is also a very wonderful resource i would say that for me and the way that i learn and the fact that i'm not a patient person so i need everything kind of in one place the virtual trainer was a better option for me but all of the raymore resources are amazing and they will be what makes you pass this exam because we can we will and we must pass NCLEX. Hello guys. Hello. Hello to all Raymar nurses out there. Hello. This is Kimberly. And I'm just going to 
show you a very brief comparison between the virtual trainer which is this one the new one the virtual trainer which also comes with a quick packs again okay this virtual trainer is the it's also complete same as the dvd package okay it's like the three of this it's already in here everything is here okay because some of the information are also online it's here you see this is my virtual trainer you can see certification my profile notes and everything and you can start the training if you want see it's totally new and you can see you can also monitor your progress right away the lecture is here this is for RN see there are lectures and there are also questions in here already so everything that you need is already here the good thing about this virtual trainer is it's so modern, it's also simple to use, it's very handy, very convenient because you can use your phone to log in and you can start reviewing everywhere, wherever, whatever you're doing. You can even use it whenever you're at break time at work, whenever you're walking you're just exercising you can you can just play it and everything is there so you can carry it anywhere so it's so convenient it's so modern it's so simple so i i really recommend this book of course quick facts quick facts is also very important guys very simple don't go with those very thick books you don't need thick books for the end clicks okay so that's all guys so once again we can we will we must pass and clicks guys i'm courtney i am officially a remar nurse and i did the six week challenge i watched the videos three or four times and I really really like them I feel like they really helped me I took notes I read the rationales I answered them again I did anything and everything possible that I could I'm just so happy to have found it and to officially be a Remar nurse okay okay calm down I am now a nurse and I'd like to say thank you so much for giving us the content and content really does matter so thank you so much and I'll see you for all right <laughs> bye Hi Regina, hi Wilmar crew, hi Wilmar nurses, my name is Graceland Dennett, I'm from Haiti, I've been here in the US for 12 years, I studied as a CNA for five, um, for six months, PCT, LPN for five years. 
um i went to take my test last week i took two weeks off from work studied a virtual trainer i didn't really do a lot of questions like regina said i just i was focused on content most questions that i did is only the one in virtual trainer the day i went to take my test i pray i said god i'm not gonna lean on my own understanding i'm gonna lean on your own understanding and i said god i'm leaving my home as an lpn but i'm coming back as a um, RN. I went in my car, took myself, went in my car, I prayed, and then I called my husband. I was crying. My husband was like, why are you crying? Don't you know who God is? Um, you did your part. You studied. So now let God do his part. I'm like, okay then. So from the place to my home in my car, I was praying, worshiping God. I did not do the trick. No, I was scared. So I waited for two days. I went on person view. Pay for the quick result and guess what when i saw the word pass i went crazy i went crazy um i was running in my home in my house crying like a mad woman i'm telling you but god did it god intervened i'm telling you we more is the key content is the key listen to what regina said i'm telling you she, she was right if you don't know your content you won't be able to answer those questions i was i'm telling you i was able to answer most of the question because of remar because of regina because she took her time to explain every detail regina you are awesome you are great you are the best of the best thank you so much for your time for your patience i want to tell you right now i'm asking god to bless you to bless your family to bless your ministry to give you strength don't ever uh don't get discouraged let me tell you because you are blessing a lot of people you are blessing a lot of people out there i'm telling you thank you so much and Women nurses, do not get discouraged. Continue to study, focus, follow women. Virtual trainer is the key. I'm telling you, it's the key. And then remember, with God, nothing, nothing is impossible. Pray and study, and you will see. If I can do it, you can do it. Okay? Love you guys. Take care. This year is all about you getting your license and I'm gonna help you do that. So if you're feeling confident, if you're feeling ready to take on the NCLEX beast, let me help you get the other half of the way with the content from the test plan. Pharmacology, you can dominate it. Let's dominate the rest of the subjects that will be on your NCLEX exam. I can't wait for our next class and of course to see you with your license. You can, you will, you must. Passing clicks. Everybody asked me, Mark, I see you in the videos. Who are you? Are you a nurse? Well, the answer is I married one. Interestingly enough, before I married Regina, before I proposed to her, I was feeling very anxious and nervous and I had to do something to kind of find my center, find my balance. And that thing that I had to do was I had to go to God in prayer. If you're nervous or feeling anxious about anything or particularly in NCLEX, Listen, guys, we got you covered. Here at Remar Review, we believe in putting faith over fear. God has your back. You can, you will, you must pass NCLEX. All you have to do is ask. Opportunity to demonstrate that yes, you can be a safe nurse. You can be confident. You can be competent. You can provide excellent nursing care. Your NCLEX date is there for you. Remember, you're in control. You pick the date. You pick the time, you pick the location. This is your chance, this is your opportunity. So go in there and get what you came for. You came for a license, so leave with one. Don't let anything, don't let any distractors, any persons, 
any, anything take you out of that mindset. Oh, you've come too far to fail. You've applied to nursing school. You got into nursing school. You got through nursing school. You got through clinicals. You got through exits. You got through studying. This is the end of the finish line. I want you to walk across it, get your nursing license, and become an amazing Remar nurse. Got a question for us? Head to RemarNurse.com and let's have a chat or go to the FAQ page for swift answers. You can also email us at support at and we'll be happy to address your NCLEX needs and concerns. If you're unable to watch the live reviews, you can tune in to Remar Nurse Radio on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and more. Don't forget, tag us to your social media. Later, guys. You can, you will, you must pass NCLEX. Hey, what are you waiting for? I want to see you on the inside. This is the opportunity. You don't want to miss it. If your nursing license is important to you, you will take action right now. Let's click the link. Let's go.